0: saturday and sunday and it's supposed to be 75 76 degrees right in there and sunny oh you football it'll be all right hey we got a special edition today basically i want to learn about this thing called a sterling engine okay and uh, joining us live this morning is a friend of mine, Dave Berkowitz, and um, uh, good morning, Dave.
1: Morning, Dave. Welcome. And you.
0: Um, you know, you have an interesting background. And uh, folks, as you will note as we go along, there's, there's a bit of an accent to his voice. Now,
1: David, where, where were you raised? I grew up in South Africa. That's where I was born, in a small rural town Uh, About 80 miles from Johannesburg, for those who know a little bit about Southern African geography.
0: Now, um, you know, so were your parents natives of that?
1: Yes, they were. My father was second generation. My mother was probably there with the very first European settlers.
0: Yeah. And, And just for kicks, what were their professions?
1: My mother was a shopkeeper. My father was a truck driver.
0: Yeah. And and brothers and sisters and things like that?
1: Yes, I have have a sister. Uh, I'm the eldest. I have a sister. She's three years younger. She still lives in our childhood home. And I have a brother who lives in Seattle.
0: So does that prompt you to uh, travel occasionally uh, back to South Africa?
1: Yes, I used to visit regularly uh, when my mother was alive. Um, These days, I don't go back quite as often,
0: but um,
1: I enjoy going back on occasion. Now,
0: um, education. Uh, There's there's a number of universities down there, but you attended which one? It's called the University of the
1: Witwatersrand. Uh, It's in Johannesburg, which is the big city in the, the hinterland of the country. (coughs)
0: <coughs> and you got your do- bachelor's, master's, and even your doctoral degree I, I did indeed, yes. Now, um, at what point did you focus in on a certain educational direction?
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, when I was growing up, um, I've always been fascinated by mechanical things, mm-hmm. so it was quite natural for me to to do engineering. I think I fixed on that quite early, in probably during high school. Um, You know, I did the normal things uh, kids did back then, built model airplanes, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. But uh, mechanical things. What was what? What what did you? I mean, did you ever work on your own car? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. And yeah. still? <laughs> no, I don't. No, but no, I had okay. a
1: junker, so that kept me pretty busy. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, mechanical things have been a, of interest to me for most of my life as well. Mm. The um, But at some point, um, you moved to the United States, right? Yeah, well,
1: the, that, um, you know... South Africa during that time was uh, under authoritarian government, mm-hmm. uh, practicing apartheid, which was a uh, forced segregation. Um, and um, yeah, I'd resolved uh, with my wife we were definitely going to leave South Africa.
0: Is she from South Africa as yes, well? Yes, okay. she's from Cape Town, which I is,
1: see. you could say, the southern tip of the continent yeah. of, of Africa. Yeah. So uh, about a thousand miles. We grew up about a thousand miles apart. Where I grew up uh, was, you know, a thousand miles northeast of where she grew up.
0: Now, did you? Um, how do I want to put this? Did you have Athens in mind, or was mm. it? Have, did you live in other cities first?
1: No. Um, so as I told you, I was doing mechanical engineering. Actually, I started off on aeronautical engineering. that switched uh, to mechanical engineering for my master's. And uh, at that time, I was researching the Stirling engine. It was an interesting application of the kinds of subjects that, that I'd been exposed to. And um, as a consequence of that work, which I published, I got a job offer in the States. And, uh, you know, it was just a matter of accepting it, and we landed up in upstate New York uh, where I worked for a company that was um, trying to develop a sterling engine for automotive applications. Yes,
0: I've often wondered about
2: that. Yeah,
1: and, uh, you know, the reason it, it well, this is 79 when um, I, I came to the States, So um, the US government was looking to support and fund engines that could use alternative fuels. And the one thing about Sterling is it it really doesn't matter how the heat is provided to the engine. So uh, we built an engine that ran on oil uh, and um, sawdust uh, and uh, I think There was a couple of other things, Mm -hmm. gases and various things like that, wood chips, you name it.
0: Well, let's dig in just a little. Um, Years ago, I knew a man by the name of Bill Beale. Yes. William Beale. Right. And um, he was here in Athens, and uh, I don't know much about his other background, but he was really uh, highly regarded in terms of his knowledge of the Stirling engine. Now, folks, Stirling is spelled S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G. How far back does the Stirling engine go in years? So uh, that's an interesting question. It's um,
1: it's about two hundred years old, little really, little more than that. Yeah.
0: And yet, why hasn't it ever? become a bigger deal? Well (laughs) okay
1: Uh, so the invention uh, happens during the Industrial Revolution in Scotland like so many of the other major inventions of the Industrial Revolution Um, but it required a a kind of a precision and um, a S- practical implementation of it, even though the basic cycle, the basic understanding of the process was invented by uh, Robert Sterling back in uh, 1806 or so. Um, he, the, the, making the, this machine practical, even though he did build machines that demonstrated the principle but building a practical machine was really quite difficult, and it needed another invention. and that's where William Beale comes in. So it, all you've got to go all the way to about 1960, mid1960s, I think 1964, William Beale comes up with a uh, configuration, an idea of implementing the cycle, this engine that actually suddenly makes it practical.
0: Now, Oh, forgive my phone. I should have turned it off. Anyway, um, now, this occurred in Athens, didn't it?
1: It did. It did. Uh, so he was a professor at the university, Ohio University, and um, he set up a company called SunPower to develop this invention. And um I had done some work in Sterling. I was working in the States at the time at a company called Mechanical Technology Incorporated, as I mentioned. And uh, he offered me a job, which brought me here to Athens in 1981.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the Sterling technology in today's world, uh, is primarily used in ultra refrigeration, right?
1: That's right, that's uh, where we applied it. Yeah. Now,
0: are, are, there, are there other products that I- I employ the Sterling technology?
1: Yeah, um, various people and companies have tried to apply it because of its really exceptional characteristics. Um, the military used it for a while, um, it, you know, to, to cool the sensors of missiles and, and things like that. Uh, they can improve the, the sensitivity of uh, the homing device in a missile by cooling it down to very deep temperatures. So uh, it was used by the military and by NASA and places like that uh, for a while. Um, and for power generation, there was a company in the Netherlands that used uh, SunPower's technology for home co-generation. For which wh- was, what was that? It, it's a, it's a uh, concept wherein you, natural gas or some fuel is supplied to the home and you generate electricity oh, in the house. Oh, generation. And okay. at the same time, you get to keep the heat. You also get to electricity, and you can generate that from a primary source. It could even be wood. And so so there are those um, characteristics that make it interesting for those applications. But what we did is um, we used the, the machine to generate cold. It's a very interesting engine in that if you provide energy in the form of heat, it'll produce electrical power or mechanical power. And if you provide mechanical power as input, it will actually still want heat, but because you're not providing heat, it cools things down. So it's a little counterintuitive, I suppose, but you can use the same device to cool things. And it's a very, it's a brilliant cooling machine. It'll go down to very deep temperatures uh, quite easily and with very low amounts of input power. So it's very efficient use of of whatever electrical power you're providing to it. The, um, you know,
0: in my home I have a refrigerator. Yeah. I have a freezer. Standalone freezer. Um, <clears throat> these are common. Um, the Sterling technology has been applied to ultra refrigeration and uh, things where m- things must be kept at ultra cold levels. Um, like for the medical industry, and and help me out on this. Oh,
1: yeah. No, you're quite right. Um, So, well, let's just go back to the domestic home refrigerators, home freezers. Those could easily be cooled by sterling, but the home refrigerator is really a mature technology. It lasts for a very long time. It's very reliable. So you know, as an incumbent technology, it would be very hard to knock it off its pedestal. It it also doesn't use a lot of energy, a modern home refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the sort of, you know, economic equation to set up a factory to compete against something like that will first of all be a huge factory because you'd have to build millions and millions of the coolers. So um but if you look at very deep temperatures the current technology compressor-based technology is very bad at um, achieving deep temperatures it becomes unreliable and it uses a lot of energy so this is a perfect niche for the sterling the numbers are smaller so it's easier to capitalize And so we identified this as a first application for the Sterling and we were very successful in doing that. And what this application, where this application is really valuable is keeping medicines, biological samples, biorepositories, things like that at deep temperatures, which has to be done in ultra reliable um, circumstances because, you know, Uh, you can imagine all kinds of medicines are held at deep temperature I mean uh, now modern-day gene and cell therapy um, they this whole technology may well uh, solve you know uh, 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 cancers you know uh, provide medicines that completely uh, heal people from some terrible diseases And uh, these medicines may become personalized. In other words, they may only be um, used for very few people or Mm -hmm. even one person. And so its storage becomes almost a matter of life and death, and maybe in some cases, indeed. And um, so, uh, you know, it just brings you to the point where the refrigerator has to be an extremely reliable piece of equipment, but it also has to operate at very deep temperatures.
0: Now, um, when you read about sterling technology, sterling engines, uh, they make the big point that there's no piston, right?
1: Well, uh, there is a piston but there's no mechanism like a crankshaft and a connecting rod to move the piston. That was William Beale's big uh, discovery. He realized that the pressures moved in such a way within the engine that the pressures that are created by the piston movement could in fact create the forces that would make the piston move by itself. In other words, make it a free piston. So there's no connecting rod, there's no crankshaft, there's, and there's no valve gear in the Stirling either. So what Beale arranged was for the piston and the displacer to just move within a cylinder by these pressures, by cleverly arranging certain areas for the pressures to act on, create the right forces to move all these components in the right relationship to each other
0: now I think of pistons as being needed to create pressure that's right Um, but if it's moving both ways um, without a crankshaft or a a push rod or whatever
1: Mm
0: -hmm. is it pushing in both directions you know what I mean?
1: Yes, no, I do. And and this is hard to describe without a diagram, so I'm going to do my best. So um, if you imagine a piston in a closed-end cylinder, it does just as you described it, uh, Dave. When the piston moves inwards to the closed cylinder, it'll compress the gas that's inside. And when the piston moves out, it'll obviously expand it. And um, if you remember Boyle's Law from early days, perhaps high school, when you compress a gas, the temperature goes up, and when you expand the gas, the temperature goes down. But you can imagine if the is just moving back and forth, all that will happen to the gas is the temperature will go up and go down yes. as the piston moves back and forth, and you'll get no, you know, advantage from that. So... so w- what the Stirling, what Stirling realized, now we have got to go back to Robert Stirling in the early 1800s, and it was the entire family by, by the way, the Stirling family, they were all pretty smart. What he realized is that if you had a loose-fitting pit- piston above that piston you could shuttle it all the way over on the cylinder, in the cylinder, so that when the piston compressed the gas the gas was in a separate space and then the temperature in that separate space would go up as the gas was compressed and then you moved that loose fitting cylinder above the piston back towards the face of the piston and it would move that compressed gas to another space so where it could be expanded so it has two pistons one is close-fitting, one is loose-fitting. The loose-fitting piston simply shuttles the gas from one space to another space so that the majority of the compression happens in one space and the majority of the expansion happens in another space. And that happens, you know, maybe 120 times per second or 60 times per second. It can happen quite fast. and eventually makes one space warm and one space cold, or if it's an engine, it'll actually produce power.
0: Now, these are, um, these ultra-cold refrigerators. I hope I'm not using bad terms. No, no,
1: you are, that's perfectly good. We would call them freezers, but that's good.
0: Oh, freezer, I can just say that. Yeah. so what propels this? So so when you
1: use the Stirling uh, engine as a cooling device, then you have to provide power. So what we do is we have I- electrical power coming in, and since the piston's not connected to a crankshaft, as I mentioned, we have to use what's called a linear motor, which is just a large loudspeaker motor the same kind of coil arrangement you're having a loudspeaker that happens to move the cone back and forth yeah. or any of those who have looked at that will understand what a linear motor is. And so we use something like that but much bigger that moves the piston back and forth.
0: So um, wow. It is so unique when we think of the other types of things engines you know what i mean yeah there's
1: uh, no um you know it, uh, it, there's no common parts in a sterling with anything else that you might you know typically see it's it's its own device i mean you know the motor that drives it or the alternator that extracts power is something very specific for a sterling. It's not used anywhere else.
0: Now, has Athens become, um, how do I want to say, In. for people who are focused on the sterling technology, um, is Athens a real common word?
1: Yes. Um, the sun power really, uh, William Beale's invention, and. Sunpower the company really provided a practical solution for the device but at that time when I worked at Sunpower it was an R&D company and my interest was to make a commercial device and that's when I spun global cooling out of Sunpower in uh, 1995 and uh, yeah uh, Athens Ohio is known all over the world in, in the field of Sterling technology. I mean, everybody who dabbles with Sterling's will know William
0: Beale's name. Sure. Now, out on Poston Road, out in kind of the plains-like, yeah. is uh, the facility, right? That's right. And um, the building is large. hmm um, this is probably a really stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, what percentage of the building is used for research? And what percentage is used... <coughs> sorry about that. And what percentage is used for manufacturing and then storage? Well, the
1: almost the entire building is devoted to manufacturing. Okay. I mean, if you include this, the staff, uh, you know, the management staff that support the manufacturing. The research is really a separate little uh, area cordoned off in the building, but it's a much smaller area. You don't really need much area for research. Um, but you know, obviously in this day and age, you can't have a successful company unless you always on the forefront of the technology. Right. Um, people will, st- I mean other companies will steal it, uh, and maybe that's too harsh a word, but that's just what happens in technology. I mean, you know, as soon as the motor car w- was commercialized, many companies started making them, and the same will happen with sterling. So it's uh, very critical to always be one step ahead of your competition and you know in this day and age your competition is international
0: and is there competition oh yeah so like mm-hmm. it sterling technology is that today's is that um, and it's like when we talk about um, oh, global cooling yeah or, or sterling technology or what's the most current word for your company uh, sterling
1: ultra cold okay. is i suppose the best
0: so thing. are there others out there and in, in how does sterling stack up
1: yeah well we don't compete with the um the companies that build the small military coolers uh, our market is completely different
0: um you're, you're principally medical We're
1: medical and biostorage and cell and gene therapy markets, those kinds of markets. So uh, we're number one supplier in that market of sterling. Congratulations. Thank you. That's (laughs) great.
0: And, and, um, you know, but how how does – what's the next step? Well,
1: we – we know that other very large companies are working on it because we have such an advantage over them with mm-hmm. the sterling technology mm-hmm. and we've already seen uh, other companies display sterling uh, equipment deep temperature freezers um, but nothing has really come onto to the market in any strong way but you know, just monitoring the patent traffic, which is a good uh, place to, to start to understand your competition. There are a lot of companies working on trying to get around our patents, trying to patent, you know, novel configurations. They're clearly working on Sterling.
0: Now, um, I guess I should mention a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago, you retired, right? It uh, was actually this year, okay. March. Right, yeah. And um, um, so, you know, I think of, I, I, you know, there are a few names that come to mind when I think of Sterling technology. And, of course, I go way back to William Beale. Yeah. Um, who's um, Who's Mr. Sterling today in this nation?
1: <laughs> well... It's a subject that is studied at various <laughs> universities these yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. Um So I I don't think that any engineering student would be unfamiliar with the term. It's often cov- uh, covered in a subject called thermodynamics. So so there's that. But uh, at Sterling Ultra Cold, at the company that I founded. Um, the uh, there would be a a, you know a few engineers who would be well versed in the the field Mm -hmm. Um, one thing about technology a technology company is you have to provide tools the technical tools the calculations what's called the know-how and the intellectual property uh, includes know-how as well as patents. Most people just think of patents as intellectual property, but it also includes the know-how. And all that has to be documented in ways that ordinary people can look at it. Ordinary people skilled in the arts can look at it and apply it. So that's one of the things that we did over the years.
0: Well, your product is used worldwide, right? That's right. And it is an exceptionally unique product now um but it is really focused on ultra refrigeration right you know there's got to be people dreaming out there how can it be applied to something else right yeah what are some of those things well you know there's uh, there's no reason
1: to imagine that it won't replace every form of refrigeration uh, you know it might also replace some forms of uh, power generation I could yeah. see that as well um, but you know if I think of, of applications where it is really perfectly suited um, I could imagine You know, these huge server farms that they have now where they have computers lined up by the thousands that handle internet traffic and searches and all that kind of thing, they produce a huge amount of heat that's difficult to remove. And uh, this could be a very good application for sterling. It would reduce the energy consumption of these server farms which currently use huge amounts of power. So, you know, there might be another application. There'd be, you know, other applications. As the volume of, of production increases and mass production techniques reduce the cost of the device. It will obviously move naturally into many other applications. So, you know, I expect, you know, maybe not in my lifetime, but, you know, I'm sure that the applications of this device will expand and grow.
0: Well, you know, there was a time when it was thought about a little bit in terms of uh, providing the energy to make a car, yeah, a vehicle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that would be such a remarkable change. Yeah. Um, how, do, how would that work?
1: Y- you mean applying the sterling to an automotive application? Yes. Well, you know, that machine, um, which was developed um, in the 70s, 1970s, um, a lot of money was put into it by the U.S. government. Um, But it it wasn't a free piston device. It wasn't uh, the the configuration that William Beale had come up with. It it had a crank output because you need that for cars. Um, and um, the other thing about it that I think really was a problem for it, the Stirling doesn't have a instantaneous response to throttle to to fuel. It's it
0: more more gradual.
1: It's more gradual, yeah. and and that was another problem. But uh, you know, Beale actually. Um, came up with the idea of using a hybrid, using the Sterling to charge a battery that would drive the car. Of course, in those days, the batteries were lead-acid. We didn't have these modern, lightweight batteries. But um, he laid out the entire concept of a hybrid Sterling automobile. And uh, there there are publications that talk about that. Hmm. So, you know, that might have been a, a sensible application.
0: Well, I it just, um, you know, this is such a different form of power generation that um, it, it just, uh, it, you know, it just seems like, wow, wouldn't it be cool? Well, here's a, a, a,
1: another application. Um, which uh, SunPower has been working on for many years, and that is to use a radioisotope, in other words nuclear power, to to run the Stirling, And and this would be used for space flights, long duration space flights. Mm. But they could also just as easily use solar. I mean we built uh, solar converters at, at SunPower in the 1990s that had Extremely high conversion efficiencies. So it really is, you know, a jack of all trades, but you have to find the one that it's a master of, right?
0: Well, m- but masters don't happen overnight. You no. know, I, it's y- 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 you try something and you have a partial success, and then you try to ha- find out, well, what's the weakness and how can we overcome that? And mm-hmm. well, what am I telling you for?
1: No, no, no. That's the development process. You, yeah. you nailed it. It's good.
0: So retirement, what's, uh, you know, I, I doubt with all of these interesting and unique things that you've been involved with most of your life, um, what's it like to be retired? And what, you know, what what do, occupies your time? Well, I'm still
1: getting used to it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And I, I do continue to think of, you know, new applications and new ways to, to use the technology, um, you I might get involved. Um, there's definite interest to involve me in various projects. And so I speak to people about that. I, I think I need to take off a little bit of time yeah. to spend with my family and grandkids, that sure. sort of thing. Um, so Were you?
0: Would you? Would your wife describe you as a workaholic? I,
1: I I don't know. You don't. But but you know, uh, obviously, when I was engaged, there was a lot of travel and a lot of, um, and I was preoccupied all the time. So you know, I don't know if I was always that much fun to be around. But, um, yeah, you know, I do want to spend more time with my family and give them more of my time than I have perhaps in the past, yes.
0: Now, your connection to South Africa, um, uh, have you visited it often? Yeah, I mean,
1: every few years I go back. It's a beautiful country. Um, I do miss the particular things about it, you know.
0: And when you're gone, are there particular things you miss about
1: Athens? Of course. I've lived more than half my life in Athens. Yeah. It's, it's home now. I You know, it would be a difficult town to, to leave at this point. It's uh-huh. really become part of my fabric.
0: So um, I don't know if this is appropriate, but tell us a little bit about South Africa. Well, you know. Is theres there... Is there um, Um, Is there a racial issue?
1: Well, you know, far less. I mean, apartheid is gone. They have a constitutional form of government. People's rights are protected. So those are really big steps and, Mm. you know. But, um, you know, when you have a system of government like what they had in the past, uh, there's a lot of damage done. And it'll take, you know, a few generations to completely get over it, I'm sure but um you know there's a lot of goodwill in south africa like there is in many countries i suppose all countries and you really rely on people of goodwill to to see see it through hard times you know
0: it's true anywhere is
1: yeah so i would say you know n- not living there for so long um you know i'm not I'm not privy to much of the day-to-day stuff, which consumes people as it does everywhere. But you know, just looking at it from afar, I think things are certainly improving.
0: You still have family there, right?
1: Oh yes, oh yes.
0: And um, just for kicks, uh, the professions they've pursued.
1: Well, my my sister's a music teacher, Mm -hmm. Um, and. my, well, my brother. She brother's.
0: teaches at what level? Like, uh, um,
1: she, she's a private music teacher. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Mm. And, um, I have a nephew and a niece. Um, my niece is a food scientist, um, works for a dairy, a large dairy in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a nephew and he, um, you know he's into um, sound, sound recording stuff like that. Huh. Uh, that's what he would like to do.
0: Well, it's um, okay. What, 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 um, what hobby or dream do you have unfulfilled?
1: Well, I... Uh, you know,
0: if you if mm. if your life had gone differently, what <laughs> what would be another thing in your life you'd like to have?
1: Well, you
0: know, I've always
1: been interested in airplanes, and um, so I do fly. I have a private pilot's license.
0: Fixed wing, I assume? Yes,
1: Mm -hmm. yes, which I only received around, I don't know how old I was, maybe 65 or something like that, so late in life.
0: you have um, a plane? Uh,
1: No, I belong to a club. Okay. And, you know, I just like to get better at that. And enjoy, you know, pattering around in the sky in a small airplane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is fun.
1: It is, yeah.
0: And, um, I have a, uh, a dream that'll never be fulfilled, but, uh, I had a helicopter's license, military. Oh, interesting. And, um, the Huey, um, UH1s. Yeah. I'm sure. sorry. The, the, the Bells. hmm. And, um, I recently found one for sale, oh, interesting. for a hundred and seventy-seven thousand oh. dollars. But it's in great shape, anyway. Um, but I don't have a license presently, so I've talked a little bit to the Ooh. OU Airport folks, and they—they've found a way of maybe helping me get that reinstated. But i, I, I sure hope But it's all—it's all a oh. dream, you know. It's not—it's not. It's not gonna, it makes no sense to do it except that it would be fun yes Hmm. oh well so what do you think is um the most likely next use of sterling technology well you know it's difficult to say um
1: but i think cooling will continue to be a, a very good application for the technology um It might be the server thing, uh, but I'm not sure, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the market is is surprisingly large for um, medical cooling. You know, it extends even to cryosurgery and many other things like that. So um, these biorepositories are very large, too. I mean, they may have hundreds of, of deep temperature freezers in them so you know that will be a market that will continue to grow and that will probably consume all of sterling ultra cold's effort for a while
0: so um do you have any oddball <laughs> hobby or anything besides the flying like do you like to collect this or that or play cards or you know what i mean <laughs> I like to read. Yeah. In um, in yeah. the types of books that you particularly enjoy are,
1: you know, they're probably quite geeky. Though geeky. I do do like um, I do like mysteries. Yeah. Um, occasionally, but I'm reading a book right now about the early days of the steam locomotive. Um, you know. George and Robert Stevenson, for those Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. you who know about it. And I'm enjoying that, Um, you know, so those kinds of
0: things. I just had a terrible thought, and that is, folks, I have not mentioned, except for early in the show, who our guest is. It's that of David Berkowitz. And David moved here in Athens, um, oh, what year was it, 79? We came to the United
1: States in '79 and arrived in Athens in '81. So shortly after, yeah, yep.
0: yeah. The first few years were where?
1: In Schenectady, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, New York. Right.
0: Well, he's uh, an Athenian through and through now. I oh, am yeah? um, indeed. <laughs> um, this whole thing of the Sterling engine. And Athens has long been known for its knowledge of that through um, several different people, most namely, we mentioned early in the show, William Beale. What uh, what have I failed to bring up? We, we have about three minutes. Um, I
1: think you did a very good job
0: there, Dave. I, I think
1: I'm. all well, the pudding and stuff has certainly <laughs> been
0: spoken about. So... Folks, again, in the Plains on Postum Road, there's this plant. Um, today it's being called global cooling or uh, sterling techni- technology. What is it? W-
1: we call it sterling ultra-cold these St- days. Sterling um, ultra-cold. Yeah. To me, okay. it's always global cooling.
0: Okay. And uh, it continues to manufacture a very unique product uh, used particularly in the medical industry with with And when we say ultra-cold, what temperatures are we talking
1: about? We we operate uh, temperatures below minus 80 degrees Celsius. Wow. Yeah.
0: Celsius, no less.
1: Yeah, I think it's about minus 120 Fahrenheit, something like that.
0: Well, with that, I'll tell you, it's 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside our studio right now. We've gained a whopping one degree since we started the show almost an hour ago. But we're headed up to 46. So six more degrees to climb yet today. So, um, David, thanks for coming in. Oh, you're welcome, Dave. Scott, what's uh, what's up in, in your world?
2: Uh, let's see. We have the... Pull that mic over in. your direction.
0: I don't know if this other mic's working. you
2: got to turn up there. Okay. There you go. It is working. Yeah. Cool. I, I messed around with it a little bit and got it to work properly. So I'm not going to say that too loud, Okay. though, that it's uh, <laughs> functional at the moment. Uh, yeah. We have the mayor coming in Thursday yeah. this week, Steve Patterson. And uh, let's see, getting a parade organization going on for the annual Veterans Day parade uh-huh. coming up on Friday, November 11th. And you can pick up packets at the Athens American Legion and all veterans organizations. And uh, we're trying to get as many units as possible for the Veterans Day Parade this year. So uh, please uh, visit the Athens American Legion or VFW, DAV, whatever it may be.
0: Forgive my poor memory. Veterans Day is when? I'm sorry? Veterans Day is when?
2: Friday, November 11th. It's always on the 11th day of the 11th month. Every year of November. So with that, uh, just want to encourage people to come out and support the Veterans Day Parade. Make it a big one, honor our veterans, and uh, thank them for their service to our country.
0: And Ohio's playing who on on Saturday? Northern
2: Illinois at 2 p.m. Any any, uh, hunch? Yeah, Bobcats by at least three touchdowns.
0: Cool. I'm ready. I'll be there, folks. Don't miss it. And... um, Let's see here, about 15 seconds. So let's just tell you once again, 46 are high today. We're at 40 right now. 50 are high tomorrow, 56 Saturday. The weekend, 70 mid-70s So uh, and sunny. So it would be a great day to go to the game. Thank you, folks. Be careful out there, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on 970 WATH, The Party Line. In our
2: 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N-S. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com.
3: I'm Stacy Lynn in Washington. More Russian airstrikes hit residential areas in Kiev today. An energy facility was also hit, and there's widespread power outages in multiple cities. CBS's Holly Williams reports as follows: Other deadly attacks using Iranian drones. Kiev's mayor Vitali Klitschko called Russia a terrorist state.
2: Killed a lot of people, civilians. i guilty people, and that's why it's terror, uh, terror attack.
3: Ukraine claims that Russia's ordered nearly two and a half thousand suicide drones from Iran. They reportedly cost around $20,000 each, a fraction of the price tag for a guided missile. President Biden is heading to the Howard Theater in D.C. today, where he'll speak at an event hosted by the Democratic National Committee. The focus is on abortion and the choice voters face in the midterms. Mr. Biden says if Americans elect more Democratic senators to keep the House Democratic, the first bill he'll send to the next Congress will be to codify Roe into law. Things got heated at a debate in Ohio last night. Democrat Tim Ryan called out Republican J.D. Vance for supporting conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. It's maddening.
0: This is a complete fabrication. I never said that, J.D., you're on tape, brother. You're on tape, man. I never said that, Tim. Go and run the tape and find out exactly what I said. It'll be like 30 minutes and we're all going to know you're lying.
3: A very alarming study about diabetics rationing their insulin. Here's CBS's Naomi Rockham. An analysis of national health data found that 1.3 million people were conserving insulin, most by delaying buying the life-saving drug. The research showed that younger adults and those without insurance were most likely to ration. The first 40 days on the job for Britain's new prime minister has been a roller coaster. Liz Truss insists she's still the right person for the top job. One day after her new finance minister axed those budget-busting tax cuts for the rich, which so unnerved markets and infuriated voters, opposition lawmaker Rachel Reeves. An arsonist is still an arsonist, even when they turn up with a bucket of water and run back into the burning building. Truss, though, signaling she's staying put. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. If you're looking for something to read, a new Oprah Book Club selection was announced. Author Barbara Kinsolver was on CBS Mornings talking about Demon Copperhead. It's a dark story and it's a hard story to tell. I wasn't sure readers would want to go follow me into that dark place. And so I spent actually a couple of years trying to tell the story. Markets with a solid open on Wall Street today. This is CBS News.
0: You need to hire? Indeed is with you every step of the way helping you attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Visit indeed.com slash credit. Did you know
3: that feeling sluggish or weighed down